Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Lean's Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning and welcome to our show, number 656. And Merry Christmas. What does this... Velociraptor have to do with this? Well, it appears that a creature that looked like a duck and hunted like a duck was really a dinosaur related to velociraptors. Yeah, like the ones in Jurassic Park. Paleontologists in Mongolia have uncovered a nearly complete skeleton still embedded in rock of an amphibious theropod that lived during the late Cretaceous period, about 66 million years ago. The scientists say the creature's snout seems to have had an exquisite sense of touch which helped it find prey in murky waters, along with small teeth for nabbing tiny fish and flipper-like forelimbs that would have allowed it to move easily through the water. Check out our Facebook page for more fascinating details about this dinosaur Duck discovery in a story from National Geographic. Meanwhile, down in the subway. He may ride forever neath the streets of Boston. He's the man who never returned. He's the man who never returned. Ah, yes, poor Charlie. On the subway part of the city of Boston's MTA, public transit system, now known as the MBTA. Bringing this up because of a startling headline in the most recent Birding Community e-Bulletin. The headline reads, Protecting Migratory Birds and the MBTA. Of course, it soon became clear that the MBTA, to which they referred, was actually the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which protects more than 800 bird species. And the e-Bulletin story offers a warning. It's that Congress is currently considering actions which could undermine the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and its protections. The House Energy Bill, H.R. 4239, would absolve oil and gas companies from responsibility for bird deaths in oil pits and on power lines and from other energy-related infrastructure. The folks at the e-Bulletin, Wayne Peterson and Paul Basich, suggest that this should be a nonpartisan issue, and they point out that both Democrats and Republicans have raised objections to the proposal. They also remind us that we can support the birds and tell Congress to oppose drastic changes to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act through a petition from the American Bird Conservancy. And Talking Birds listeners, you can get to that petition right now on our Talking Birds Facebook page. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have you on our, for you on our Facebook page this week. Meet Piper, the dog who's protecting planes and birds from bird strikes at airports. And thanks to longtime listener Jane W. listening out there in the Southern California mountains for sharing this terrific video with us. 193 nations have signed a pledge to tackle the global crisis of plastic in our oceans. 
Find the Telegraph newspaper story through our Facebook page for an explanation of why this ocean plastic mess really does represent a genuine crisis. And we'll learn what ocean plastic is doing to a once abundant seabird here in uh, just a couple of minutes. And our friends at Bird Note remind us that in the famous song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, the first seven gifts were all birds. We have a link to their beautiful piece about the song that includes the sound of those birds and some wonderful music. And that's what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can also find those first two stories through an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. And by the way, a big thank you to Talking Birds listeners uh, for bringing our Facebook followers total up to 14,000. So thank you, Talking Birds listeners, for that. Kitty Wake, Kitty Wake lives in the sea and not a lake or a river. Oh, we heard the Kitty Wake song a while back when we made the black-legged Kitty Wake, our featured feathered friend on one of the shows. But we're looking at the bird in a different context today, not as a featured bird, but as a threatened species. It's been added to the list of British birds facing global extinction due to a toxic mix of pollution, ocean plastic, climate change, and overfishing. Black-legged Kittiwakes used to nest by the millions around the shores of the UK, but now only around 300,000 breeding pairs remain. The kittiwake is the first British bird to be added to the International Union for Conservation of Nature's red list, where plastic has been a factor in its decline. The birds have been known to drown in plastic fishing nets, while plastic litter, as well as oil pollution, can kill chicks in the nest. Meanwhile, the sand eels that provide a vital food source for breeding kittiwakes are being heavily fished for use as animal feed and fertilizer. The Royal Society for the Protection of Birds cites some work being done to address the crisis, but they note that organizations representing many interests and industries will have to join together to save the black-legged kittiwake and other threatened birds. As RSPB Marine Policy Specialist Ewan Dunn put it, our thinking on fisheries and marine protection must be as joined up as the seas on which we all rely. That is our mystery bird, and here's a preview of our mystery bird contest. It'll be coming along here just a little bit later on in this morning's show, so we want you to be ready to call in. We'll even give you the phone number. Don't call now, but just so you have it handy, it's 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a short, thick bill, and in the male, two prominent wing bars. That male in breeding plumage has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest and a white belly. The female and the non-breeding male are a dull brown. Our bird is found in open woodlands, mostly in the western half of the country, where it forages on the ground, mostly for insects. Check out this seasonal group of prizes. This is pretty cool, I think. Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder. Not so hot for house sparrows, which have trouble hanging by their feet, but for other birds you'd love to see at your feeder. Bonus prizes, two 12-ounce bags of delicious bird-friendly shade-grown birds and beans coffee and a five-and-a-half-pound bag of Audubon Park No-Mess Patio Blend Wild Bird Food. Some pretty cool prizes there on our Mystery Bird Contest coming along uh, just a little bit later on in this morning's show. 
But we're happy to report that the latest edition of our Talking Birds electronic newsletter, The Trumpeter, has been generated. If our newsletter is not uh, reaching you, please let us remedy that. Check out The Trumpeter on our Facebook page or on our TalkingBirds.com website and subscribe to it. Yes, it is free. Well, here's our conservation salute of the week. It's kind of a hometown story, if you don't mind. Boston University has announced a commitment to achieve 100% renewable electricity by the end of 2018. The university also announced a goal of achieving carbon neutrality university-wide by 2040. BU is big, by the way, with more than 3,900 faculty members and nearly 33,000 students and is one of the city's largest employers. And here's a feel-good follow-up from our hometown about something we reported on just a few weeks ago. A ban on those thin, single-use plastic bags that they hand out at convenience stores and supermarkets and grocery stores, which was approved unanimously by the city council a while back, has just been signed into law by Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. The bill will take effect next December. That means Boston has joined with hundreds of other cities and towns across the country, Seattle and Washington, D.C., for example, in adopting a plastic bag ban. Well, we have another new Talking Birds ambassador to whom to say thank you for becoming an ambassador, and that is Kyle down in sunny and warm Sarasota, Florida. Thank you so much, Kyle. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join uh, Kyle as many others who have joined our Ambassadors program, handing out some info cards to friends and associates. It's easy to do and easy to sign up for. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Ambassador option. That's the contact button, TalkingBirds.com, and choose the Become an Ambassador button. And now, Talking Birds listeners, we take you ringside Wearing a lovely violet-covered vest and patterned blouse and ready to tell us some surprising things about pigeons, it's Talking Birds Ambassador Debbie Bleacher. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's enough. Thank you. Okay, that's good. Thank you. It's never enough. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and, uh, Debbie is not uh, in the corner of a boxing ring, however. She is indeed in the Talking Birds Science Corner, and she's here for a live Science Corner report. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Well, good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Ray. Nice to have you here in the studio. And you have a topic here for our live Science Corner today called Space, Time, and... Pigeons? Indeed I do. <laughs> Surprising as it sounds. All right, so this is an experiment about pigeon, uh, caught up in pigeon intelligence, I guess. What was the experiment? Well, um, researchers at the University of Iowa were interested in pigeons' perception of time and space. That's why I called it space, time, and pigeons. Uh-huh. Um, they, it sounds a little weird, but they tried to confuse common rock pigeons. Those are the ones that we see like mm-hmm. in cities every day. Yeah. Um, they, uh, pigeons are popular for experiments like this because they have powerful eyesight and uh, good Mm. visual brains. So the researchers showed the pigeons a horizontal line on a computer screen, and the pigeons had to judge either the length of the line or the amount of time that it remained visible on the screen. Mm. Um, And in case you're wondering how the pigeons communicated their choice, they did it by pecking at one of two example lines, just Uh like a person would choose a button to press. I see. So why why would you want to confuse the pigeon anyway? That seems kind of cruel. Well, (laughs) um, because confusion shows the brain at work. When you confuse a bird or anything that thinks, it's like watching the gears turn inside a machine. 
So my brain is working then. That proves it. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. All right. So what <laughs> happened uh, when this experiment? Well, the pigeons judged a significant number of the longer lines to also have a longer duration. And they judged a significant number of the lines that stayed on the screen longer to be longer in length. In other words, the pigeons confused length with duration, which is just what humans and other primates do. Hmm. Okay. So... It matters that, that pigeons and primates confuse length and duration the same way. Why? Why, does that, why is that important? Because pigeons and primates have really different brains. Um, humans and other primates have a brain that's made up of layers, and birds don't. Uh, one of our outer layers it has an area on it in it called the parietal cortex, which is what we use to process complex sensory information. So when we confuse length and duration, it's a parietal cortex talking. Birds show the same confusion, but since their brains are different, um, nobody really knows how that happens. Hmm. Okay. So we've got this figured out. You know what they do, kind of. They've pushed the buttons and told us. What is it? Uh, is there a practical application for all this? Um, well, uh, there are the, actually, to tell you the truth, the papers I read didn't mention any, but I can think of a couple. Um, so first, uh, one day, it might help people who have brain damage in the parietal cortex, because if birds can do what we can do, but without that same brain part, maybe mm. we can learn how to do that same thing with a different brain part. Um, mm -hmm. So we might be able to teach another part of our brain to do the same job. Um, mm. And then the other thing, the other application um, is that whenever we learn how any organism processes information, it can help, it can help our engineers develop artificial intelligence. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty good. you figured out what to do with this, even if the scientists haven't. Oh, yeah. That's, I should just go tell them. That's pretty impressive. You, <laughs> you like this study, right? Why do you like this study? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, any time that uh, there's a study that shows that humans and non-humans do something or that we're alike in some way, it uh, makes me hopeful that people will show more respect for animals mm -hmm. and their habitats. Mm -hmm. um, also, I kind of like knowing that humans aren't so alone. I, don't, it's, I think it's kind of lonely, you know, otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I, I think it's kind of funny because, you know, so we're doing these experiments and finding that pigeons are like us. So maybe pigeons, pigeons are doing their own experiments and finding out that we're like them. You know, maybe every time we feed a pigeon on the street, it's taking notes. You never know. Ooh, well, I do hear them mumbling a lot, so <laughs> maybe that has something to do with it. Wow, okay, very interesting. Thank you, Debbie. You're welcome. Our associate producer, Debbie Bleacher, joining us live here in the studio for uh, Space and Time. And pigeons. This is the day before Christmas. Maybe we should refer to them as doves, because they're kind of doves. They, they used to be called rock doves. That's the American Ornithological Union decides all these kind of things. and uh, But now they are called, once again, as you correctly stated, Debbie, rock pigeons. I hope that's what they like to be called. They, they, love, they love that, yes. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment live from Cape Cod. And this is a good topic. A brilliant last-minute gift that you can still make, even here on Christmas Eve day. And up next, a small bird with a big appetite for grasshoppers is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. The first grasshopper jumped right over the second grasshopper's back. Oh, the first grasshopper jumped right over the second grasshopper's back. There are many kinds of grasshoppers. But near as we can tell, there are no sparrow grasshoppers. There is, though, a grasshopper sparrow, much to the chagrin of grasshoppers. 
Grasshopper sparrow parents are known to prepare grasshoppers to feed their nestlings by shaking off each of their prey's three pairs of legs in turn. This is where the chagrin comes in. Of course, these adult birds eat grasshoppers too, as a staple of their diet. But there's another reason we call this bird the grasshopper sparrow. When it sings, it kind of sounds like a grasshopper. Here's a grasshopper sparrow. Here's a grasshopper. Yeah, they do sound similar, although the grasshopper sounds a little more like a helicopter. Here's a helicopter. Okay, we're getting a little off topic here, so back to our subject, the grasshopper sparrow. It's a secretive bird of open grasslands that typically flies a short distance when disturbed, then drops back into the grass and out of sight. But unlike other members of its family, it will readily sing from a high, exposed perch. It's found during breeding season across much of the eastern United States and Great Plains, nesting as well as feeding, mostly on the ground. The grasshopper sparrow is not very colorful, mostly brownish with an unmarked buff-colored breast, a dark crown with a pale stripe in the middle, a large head, and a short tail. What it lacks in color, it makes up for in variety. Perhaps surprisingly, there are 12 recognized subspecies of grasshopper sparrows. Four breed in North America. Four are resident in Mexico, Central America, Colombia, and Ecuador. And four are resident in the Caribbean. Perhaps not surprisingly, given its appetite for those insects that share its first name, a group of grasshopper sparrows are collectively known as a plague. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Omandromus savanarum, the grasshopper sparrow. Our featured feathered friend segment is presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Thanks again for joining us here on the 24th of December in our show number 656 and a kind of near year-end invitation to visit our Talking Birds website. Uh, that's easy to find. It's TalkingBirds.com. You notice there is no G in Talking. We've checked on that again. TalkingBirds.com. And please do follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Up next, our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Our friends at Audubon Park remind us that they're counting on us. It's the time of year when birds really need nutritious, high-energy food to help them cope with cold weather. Look for Audubon Park wild bird food and be confident that you're providing the proper nutrition for your backyard visitors. Audubon Park is family-owned and food safety certified. And for the best photos, news, alerts, and more, sign up for Audubon Park's free e-newsletter sent to your inbox once a month. Sign up at AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. Now a word from Birdwatching Magazine. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Whether you enjoy birds in your own backyard or far afield, you'll find information in every issue to help you find, attract, identify, and understand birds. Regular contributors include Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and other birding experts. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. 
Our Mystery Bird Contest is sponsored by Audubon Park. Wild bird food, look for Audubon Park the next time you're buying food for your backyard birds. And by the way, speaking of participating in our Mystery Bird Contest, uh, you can do so easily live online from wherever you are. With a little internet connection there, just go to TalkingBirds.com to see how to do it. Our Mystery Bird Contest phone number is 781-837-4900. We send out the urgent call, the call as soon as you can, so we don't run out of time. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Here's the sound of our Mystery Bird. It's a small songbird with a short, thick bill. And in the male, two prominent wing bars. That male in breeding plumage has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest and white belly. The female and the non-breeding male are kind of a dull brown. Our bird is found in open woodlands, mostly in the western half of the country, where it forages on the ground, mostly for insects. We have a nice uh, batch of prizes here. First, the Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder. Not so hot for house sparrows, which have difficulty hanging by their feet. Not sure they can do it at all. We'll have to experiment. But great for other birds you'd love to see at your feeders, like goldfinches and pine siskins and chickadees and nuthatches and others. Bonus prizes of the season here. Two 12-ounce bags of delicious bird-friendly shade-grown birds and beans coffee. And a five-and-a-half-pound bag of Audubon Park no-mess patio blend wild bird food. Those are the prizes, those are the clues, and the sound, and the phone number is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Mike O'Connor is down on Cape Cod, and we're going to try to connect with him in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Janice Dayton, and I'm from Marshfield, Massachusetts. I love the Mystery Bird Contest. I get my Audubon book out and I thumb through it. <laughs> I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I just want to spread the news because I think it's an awesome show. We learn something different every week. It's a great show, and I'm glad I could help. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. I'm kind of betting that the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, is looking pretty festive here on the 24th of December. Let's see if we can get a confirmation on that. From Mike O'Connor. Oh, festive it is. Merry Christmas there, Ray. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, and Merry Christmas to Debbie. Debbie's there and Jesse and all your listeners. They're all, well, the listeners aren't here, but they're out there, I hope. <laughs> We're kind of hoping. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, it's the 24th now. You normally would think it's just too late now to, you know, get a gift for somebody for this holiday, but uh, you've come up with a, you've hatched a plan. I hatched a plan. Well, you know what? I, here's what I was thinking. You know, we get a lot of, I mean, we all have our immediate family and we get them certain gifts. But there's a lot of this fringe people, and I don't want to make it sound badly, but you've got an aunt, you know, lives out in Des Moines, or, you know, an uncle that's moved down to Florida, or some kind of close relative that, 
you want to give them something, but, you know, what are you going to mail them? You know, like a fruitcake or how many Chia Pets can these people have, right? So what, what I was, what I was going to suggest, and you can still do this, a lot of times you can just do it in the mail because the mail's late or even electronic like an email, make a small donation to a charity you think they support. And, and in this case, I would suggest uh, an environmentally uh, supportive charity. Yeah. And you're not, you know, I mean, National Audubon's fine, the Sierra Clubs are fine, those are all, you can support those if you like. But what I was thinking that maybe where these people live and kind of what they do, you did a little bit of quick research and you see what kind of uh, land trust they have in the area or wildlife rehabilitation place, and then give a small donation in their name. Now, you can, um, you know, you, you don't have to tell them how much. You can just say how much. That way you can be cheap about it if you want. Or you can you can make it a, a large donation. But that way, because these people, they get older, they're, they're trying to downsize. The house is cluttered. But they don't want to be forgotten either. So it, that was my thought. I know I've done that for certain groups in the past, especially in memory of somebody. We've got some loved ones that have disappeared. And so... Uh, mm-hmm. That's my thought, and it, you know, and it's a you know maybe it's a tax deduction, maybe it's not, but I think it's just a way of remembering people, but also supporting the causes that they like, and I think a lot of the listeners like as well. Yeah, that's a cool idea, and I always feel a little guilty about giving big things to people that are going to take up room in their house, and they're probably trying to get things out of their house. Right. So. Yeah. It's a, right. You, you know, and again, you feel like you want to do something to these people that you care about, and you want to be kind to them, and you want to remember them, but in the same token, they, and it is, here's what I, I get a lot of times people they're like, oh, 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 Aunt Mary likes birds. So, so they buy this elaborate birdhouse, this crazy big birdhouse. They spend a lot of money on it because they like Aunt Mary. And then Aunt Mary comes in, and she comes to me, and she has to buy all these poles and gizmos to set this up. She has to get a handyman to put it up. And that way, the Aunt Mary's gift ends up costing her like a couple of hundred bucks just to put it up. So forget that. Just give a, a, a nice donation in Aunt Mary's name. And I think the environment will appreciate it, and I think Aunt Mary will appreciate it. Love it, too. She'll be glad you didn't send her that other stuff. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas, you guys. Talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Mike O'Connor down there at the famous Birdwatchers General Store, uh, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Meanwhile, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. That's the sound of the bird we're uh, trying to identify here. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a short, thick bill, and in the male, two prominent wing bars. That male in breeding plumage has a striking blue head and back, a reddish chest and a white belly. The female and the non-breeding male are dull brown. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Tell us what it is and win those big prizes. Or take a guess and maybe win those prizes anyhow, because as always, a drawing will determine our winner. There being no correct answer uh, perhaps received. Ken is somewhere in Georgia. Good morning, Ken. Hi, Bray. How are you? Uh, well, Merry Christmas. Is this our friend uh, Ken from the Patuxent Wildlife, uh, Patuxent National Wildlife uh, Refuge? Yes, it is. Well, um, yeah, I'm down visiting some um, family in Georgia. All right. Well, Ken, it's always uh, wonderful to hear from you. We had a great time visiting Patuxent, and uh, you were our guide down there. So thank you again for that. That was a, a wonderful experience. But we You're don't have time to much. talk about that now, Ken. We're on the mystery bird kind contest okay. here. What do you uh, think that bird could, is? Well, could I change my guess from what I told the other fellow? Uh, what um, do you think, Debbie? Can he change his guess? 
He told... Oh, I'm feeling generous. I think so. She says you can do that. Uh, you haven't given okay. the guest on the air yet, so that's kind of the way the rule works. So, yeah, we don't know okay. what your original guest was, so that's fine. What do you... Okay, yeah. well, I will say uh, lazuli bunting, if I pronounce that right. And even if you didn't pronounce it right, you would be be a winner because that is uh, actually oh, actually thank right. Oh, yeah. Lazuli bunting or lazuli bunting is uh, is is how it's uh, also okay, also thanks. pronounced. But either way, it's like pileated and pileated, I guess. And maybe yeah, in Georgia okay. they pronounce it lazuli, and that's where you are. So. Oh, that that must be why I'm saying it that way. I think way. that must be it. <laughs> Ken, thank you so much. Great to hear from you, and uh, stay on the line there, and we'll uh, arrange okay, to send I that will. good stuff out to you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ken. That's our friend Ken Lavish. He's uh, works at the Patuxent National Wildlife Refuge down there in now I've forgotten the name of the town. In Laurel, Maryland. What an amazing place. Uh, look it up. Uh, of course, all of our National Wildlife Refuges are great places. We are out of time for this morning's show. Debbie Bleacher, thank you so much for being with us and and uh, creating that science corner for us. Oh, my pleasure. And we are out of time. And uh, we want to also thank Mark Duffield and our engineer, Jesse Wilkins, and uh, part of his fire family here and part of Debbie's family all joining us and being remarkably quiet in the studio during our show. Duct tape does wonders. It does indeed. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.